All right. Well, before we get too comfortable, everyone, we are going to go through a lot of scripture today. So if you are a paper, needs the texture in your hands, there are plenty of Bibles. I even pulled out the lost and found mixed Bibles because I just want to make sure we had enough. If you want to use your phone or tablet, that's great, but I just want to make sure now's your time if you want to get up. And also, if you sat in a seat that didn't have a surprise uh, armor of God prayer, there's plenty back there as well. I love that song, It Is Well. I have a love-hate relationship is probably more accurate because there are times when I sing that and it's not well and I have, to, I have to really look inside and figure out why it's not well and there are times when I'm just like, oh, I want it to be well. So I just sing it out and there are other times I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And today... I'm, I'm, in, I'm kind of in the half, so hopefully I can bring that energy today because as Alan alluded to, there has been a lot of loss and a lot of hard things in our community for a long time, but this last week um, especially. So, And also pre-quill, I'm coming off a cough, so if I accidentally just cough like 45 times, I'm okay. I have cough drops. I will survive. And... Tim's on it. He's going to mute me as soon as possible. But so we are going to talk today about going on the offensive. We're going to read about Paul. We're going to read um, about him on trial in front of Festus, in front of King Agrippa. But I want you to be thinking through while we're talking, while I'm talking and you're listening, um, about going on the offensive. Because the devil is out there and he wants to put us on our seat and he wants to keep us down there. And I hope that by the end of this, I've made a clear argument for why we need to go on the offensive and not be waiting to get hit and knocked down. Okay? So we're in Acts 25 and 26. We're going to read it all. And throughout the week, I was struggling. I said, Brett, this is, I, I talk out loud to myself, Brett, this is a lot of scripture. Are you sure you want to do that? I said, okay, well, I definitely want this chunk, and I definitely want that chunk. And by the time I got done adding up all the chunks, it was like 75%. So I was like, we're going to read 100, okay? Let's do it. But the first thing I want to do is a little bit of a timeline of Paul's life, because we talk about Paul being this great man of God, and you know he wrote half of the New Testament or more. But also, I think it's important for, I'm, I, I like history and, you know, how old was he when he did that or how much time was there between this or that. So just a few reminders of some of Paul's highlights. He was born, number one, in 5 to 10 AD in Tarsus. We don't know for sure, but in that range. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus in AD 33, 34, he was between 23 and 28 years old. So he's a young guy, but he'd accomplished, well, in the Jewish pharisaical world, he'd accomplished a lot by that point. And then between that point and where we are in Acts 25, which is AD 59, he's about 50 to 54. So between when he met Jesus to where he is now, he wrote Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. Not to mention three... Please don't look this up. Three or four missionary journeys at this point. And um, countless physical beatings, falsely accused. I mean, he went through 
so much at this point. How is it that he made it this far and he's still able to stand and proclaim the good news of Jesus with so much power and authority? I think he went on the offensive and I think that he kept his eyes on Jesus the whole time. From the moment he had the scales removed from his eyes to right now, his eyes are on Jesus. So, let's jump in, shall we? Acts 25. And again, we don't have it up on the screen, so I'm, I'm serious. If you want a Bible or your phone, let's do this. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. There have been many times that they've tried to kill Paul. I mean, even Acts 23, uh, right above verse 12, the plot to kill Paul is the title. And he's known about this, and he, he knows that in his head, that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's a goner. And he wants to get to Rome. Spoiler alert, that's where we're going. He wants to get to Rome. Verse 4, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if he... And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against them, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong. I have done, if I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die, but if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Now I'm picturing a, a very loud room, so when he screamed, I appeal to Caesar, I have like this... Moses, the Ten Commandments that let my people go, like, really loud. I appeal to Caesar. I think he, I think he knew, again, that Jerusalem was going to be a death trap for him. And he had the vision from God that he's on his way to Rome. So he took that avenue. He knew that's, that's his ticket to get to Rome. So sometimes when we pray and ask for God to act in a situation, um, the answer is, that God indeed is going to act, but he will do so through our taking proper human responsibility in the matter. So two examples. There's uh, from Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. And then there's Joshua 1, 6. Be strong and very courageous, for you shall lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So, 
when thinking about going on the offensive and, and how, to, how to discern in, in a situation where we, we're, we're pleading to God to, to give us the wisdom to act, we, that's a big part of our life is discerning which of those two camps it is. Is this a, I'm going to let the Lord fight this battle for me? Or he gave me the tools to, to take on, you know, to charge the gate. And in Paul's life at this point, He's been promised through, the, uh, through his sense of call. He's been promised through the, the vision that he's going to Rome in Acts 23, 11. And in this point, at this point in the story, he took responsibility to make it happen for him to get to Rome. All right. Acts 13, or sorry, Acts 25, verse 13. It says here, Festus consults with King Agrippa. King Agrippa, fun fact, is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Not a good dude. Don't know if it followed down, but we'll see. Verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And last week, uh, Paul Jones talked about Paul's trial before Felix in uh, uh, Acts 24. That Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked him to be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus that Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. I am, I am shocked at how, um, oh, what's the phrase? I'm very surprised at how um, these proceedings are going and, you know, the, the Romans are very like, no, we have, we have rules and regs, okay? There's, there's a way to do this. You accuse him, he has an opportunity to, you know, defend himself. Because when I think through the history of Romans and Christians, there's a lot of just like, eh, death, go kill that person. So I think it's very interesting that Paul is getting such protection from the, uh, the, the way that things are going in the court proceedings, so to speak. All right, so here we are in verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officials and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. Have you ever shouted that to anyone? That someone ought to live any longer? That's pretty extreme, isn't it? I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, 
so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Okay, so now we are to the point where Paul takes this opportunity to say, I have a crowd, a lot of whom do not know the truth about Jesus, and I am not gonna miss, I'm not gonna miss this opportunity. So you're about to see Paul defending himself as you would in a court, but then also taking that opportunity to share the gospel. And it is awesome. So let's do it. 20, chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, which they're not, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, verse 6, 7, and 8 are really important because it is the central argument of Paul's defense and of um, his sharing of the gospel. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And um, proving that Jesus is Savior and Lord changed everything. How, how can being deeply convinced that Jesus is alive and has overcome death help us withstand the powers of the devil, um, uh, the world of our own flesh? He continues in verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that is possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities." So I don't know about you, but uh, I remember the things that I did wrong. Even when I know I've been forgiven of them, there are times that I'm reminded by the devil or by humans that I did things in my past and that I should remember those bad things. Do you not think that the devil reminded Paul of all the innocent people that he put to death over his years? And do you not think that Paul thought about that almost daily over these 30, 30 years between meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and where we are now on trial? How did Paul, how did he have what it took to stand and fight even through that? I mean, he wrote in Romans 8.1, Alan alluded to it, way to go, Alan, there is no condemnation for those who are in Lord Jesus. So he knows the truth. That does not mean that the devil is not trying 
to condemn him and remind him of his failings. But God loves the redemption story. Woo! I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So I hope I'm a good redemption story too someday. Verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Oh, sorry, quick stop. Goads? By the way, if you're in a sermon discussion group in the auditorium, I wrote the small group questions for today. A lot of stuff on goads. So make sure you have your phone to look up some, you're going to Google search goads. I'll give you a hint. When, when, uh, when the ox is going, yeah, that's a goad, this thing. To keep, okay. We, we could do a whole sermon on what that means, but we have to keep going. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand to your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. I love verse 18. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First, to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Acts 1.8, boop, boop, boop. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. There's a, there's a, a phrase that teachers, Kevin and other teachers have used over the last couple years that I love but the first time I heard it, I did not love. And it was, are you the same person that you were two years ago? And I had never thought about it in those terms before, so it was like, whoop, uppercut to my internal, I don't know, it was an uppercut. And I hated how I didn't have an answer for it. But I also loved the results of going through it and having to figure out, what does that mean? And is that an actual good question to ask? I think it is, by the way. But I hope that for someone in this room, you have that same internal struggle that I did. And that in two years, when you ask that question of yourself, you're going to like the answer. I hope that in a month, I ask that question of myself, and I feel like I'm, I'm further down the road than I was right now. All right, verse 21. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles." At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning has driven you insane, or is driving you insane. I wonder if Festus asked himself, or sorry, that's Agrippa. Is that? No, that's Festus. 
They're both there. Um, if he's asking, hey, am I the same person I was two years ago? See, guys, it's all the way back in the Bible. It's a great question. And he's getting uncomfortable, which is good. Verse 25, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And now this is King Agrippa getting uncomfortable. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in, a short, in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I love, Paul Jones last week said, um, and sorry Paul if I'm butchering this, but um, he asked the question, who's really on trial here? Is this, is this Paul? Is this Felix? Is this Festus? Is this Agrippa? Is it the gospel? Is it us? Who's really on trial here? And I think that's a great question that only you can answer. All right. That was verse 28. Verse 29, Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am except for these chains. Love that. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they, be, they began saying to one another, this man has done, has done nothing that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I think Paul knew all of that. And I think that he knew that the only way for him to fulfill the vision that Jesus gave him about going to Rome and doing what he basically did there in Rome, spreading the good news, Acts 1.8, taking that next step, this is what he needed to do. He took that avenue. Okay? So Paul empowered by the risen Christ, who is alive and active, was able to stand, and again, this is, well, not again, you don't know that, this is where I'm going, but the armor of God prayer. This is, this is where I think Paul, um, Paul used this, and Paul had this, and had his eyes so on Jesus, and was abiding with the Holy Spirit, that he was able to stand, okay, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Acts, that's Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. So in a time of great duress, how can we, like Paul, stand when the pressure on us is so great? Well, per my title of the sermon, I think we need to go on the offensive. So what does that mean? The armor of God, as you'll, can I have uh, armor of God? Thing, so I don't misquote. Thanks. So we're talking on the back of your, of your handout, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, gospel shoes of readiness, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Some people will say that's a lot of defensive stuff, right? The sword of the spirit's kind of the only offensive thing. Well, that would be true if all you were doing was this, Right? But I think that living like Jesus is alive means that we're charging ahead. And that armor is to help us when we get knocked down, to stay, to be able to stand, and to be able to keep going. And if you'll notice, there's not a lot of armor back here, because we're not supposed to, you like all my motions today? Not to, supposed to turn and run. Okay, picture like a hospital gown. Okay, <laughs> I think we have a photo. Just kidding. 
That's good. We don't, we don't need a photo. Everybody can picture that. So the armor of God is all up here, right? So I think we're charging ahead with the sword, and that's, that's kind of our offensive weapon, but we need everything else to be able to stand when the enemy, the accuser, who's not a good person, is throwing stuff at us and reminding us of our failings and of our faults. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and stay on the offensive. So I have a challenge for you. I have a couple other takeaways, but while we're on the topic, my challenge is for you to take this home and to read it in the morning for this week. You can do it beyond, you can do it at night, but I think praying this over you, your spouse, your family, whoever's in your home, this prayer every morning, that's my challenge to you. This is one way to be on the offensive this week. And then also, I've already said the, two, the other two takeaways, but I just want to repeat them. Are you living like you believe Jesus is alive? As Paul made that defense in front of Festus and Agrippa in front of all those people. Jesus is alive. I mean, he met him in, on the way to Damascus. We as Christians like to sometimes stop at Jesus died for our sins. Isn't it great He's, you know, that, he, that I'm washed clean? But he rose from the dead. He left us his Holy Spirit and we can be on the offensive when we choose to live into that reality that God, that Jesus is alive. And then finally, to really ask yourself, am I the same person that I was two years ago? And if so, why? And if so, am I actually doing what Paul did, keeping my eyes on Jesus and abiding with the Holy Spirit? Am I doing those things? So those are the questions and takeaways I want for you today. Thank you for um, reading 60 verses in Acts 25 and 26 today, and for uh, being a part with it. We are um, blessed to be able to um, step into communion today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to uh, transition into a time of communion together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the stories that we have in the Bible, especially Acts that we've been going through that we can see your plan for our lives, Jesus, that we can see the people who made it possible for us to be here now worshiping your name. Jesus, you are so good. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and we are going to live in freedom. We are going to go on the offensive and take it to the devil. So will we be able to, I'm just going to pray the armor of God prayer right now. So Jesus, today I put on the helmet of salvation. Protect my mind from bad thoughts and help me to focus on things that are good, things of you. Please protect my eyes and keep them fixed and looking at you. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard my heart. Make everything that comes in or out of my heart good to you. Help my heart to be open to you and easily led by the Holy Spirit. I put on the belt of truth. Help me love the truth. Love to tell the truth and hear the truth. Lord, make me more like you. Let truth keep me from lies and mistakes. I put on the gospel shoes of readiness. Everywhere I go, help me to bring peace. Help me to be peaceful. Guide what I do and where I go. Prepare me to tell other people about you. I put on the shield of faith. 
Build a strong faith in me. With faith, all things are possible. Protect me from any attacks of the enemy. I pick up the sword of the Spirit. Put your word in my heart. Lead me and guide me. Let your word change my character. Give me boldness and knowledge to love and defend others. May I be a kingdom warrior. Remind me every day that Jesus has already has already claimed the victory against the enemy. Amen.